Welcome back to Stage Left with me, Jen Harvey. My guests this episode are two of the co-directors of Breach Theatre, Ella Stevens and Billy Barrett, discussing their show, It's True, It's True, It's True. Breach Theatre devised shows about politically and ethically charged historical events using a heightened theatricality that challenges received versions of the truth. It's True, It's True, It's True is their version of the 17th century Italian rape trial brought against artist Agostino Tassi by a teenage Artemisia Gentileschi. She would go on to become one of the most famous painters of her era, world-renowned for paintings like Susanna and the Elders, where a young woman privately bathing is spied on by two older men, and Judith and Holofernes, where Judith and her maidservant murder Holofernes. Breach Theatre's It's True, It's True, It's True depicts both these paintings intercut into their reenactment of the rape trial. The production was a huge hit at the 2018 Edinburgh Festival Fringe, where it returns in 2019 as part of the British Council Showcase before a tour of the UK. I met up recently with performer Ella Stevens and director Billy Barrett to talk about the show. It's True, It's True, It's True is a semi-verbatim, or maybe post-verbatim, play about a 17th century rape trial. So it's restaging the trial of Agostino Tassi, who is a Baroque painter, for the rape of Artemisia Gentileschi, who is a young woman painter. And the show restages the trial using the court documents from it that have been translated and also kind of workshopped and made to sound modern. And it's with an all-female cast. It's a three-hander, so they play all the roles. And it, it sort of stages not only the trial, but also Gentileschi's artistic responses to it through some of her paintings. Rome, 1612. A courtroom. The questions are asked in Latin and the answers given in Italian. Each testimony of the seven-month trial is written down, but not all of the pages survive. What remains four centuries later is translated into English and now will be spoken again. Everything that follows is true. You said that it's potentially post-verbatim and what do you mean by that? I guess using verbatim theatre techniques, but in a way that acknowledges their failure to tell a full version of the truth, which is kind of also where the title came from, as well as from what she says in, in the trial about, you know, my testimony is true. And in the trial, she really does repeat it's true, it's true, it's true many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the restating of it's true, it's true, it's true in the show, which comes from uh, the account she gave, is both about her certainty that it was but also to us about kind of exploring the idea of truth within the show. So the documents that we use in the show have already been through a process of translation and we then have edited them, reshaped them, kind of workshopped them to bring out certain character traits, which isn't something that we wanted to draw too much attention to in this show. So I think in previous shows, there's been a deliberate layer of interrogating the making or the storytelling as it goes along and I think in this one we are very much like we want to let the characters speak for themselves but there's certainly still an approach there that's like very much believes but also at the same time rejects the ability of these texts that we're using to like reconstruct a historical account yeah, yeah or like so, yeah so both trying to problematize how accessible what really happened is or also just recognize that it's been through lots of layers of interpretation already but that seems potentially kind of ethically problematic or difficult when you're dealing specifically with this topic of a woman's claim to have been raped 
did you want to hedge your bets? Do you want it like Alice is performing Artemisia? Do you want her to be credible? So we, we have no problem in our shows picking a side. We've decided that. And we didn't want really for the show to even be about questioning her experience. And also in other shows, like Billy was saying, we have imposed ourselves as makers and exposed our role in the making. We didn't feel like we needed to do that because it's three women on the stage telling that story. And that's enough because the experiences ring true throughout that thing. There are so many toxic displays of masculine power over women. From like the smaller things, Artemisia talks about a man trying to have sex with her numerous times. And when she said no, he said that he would just tell everyone she did it anyway. And I kept saying this in rehearsals. That happened to me at school with a guy when I was 14. It's not alien. It's so, so real. And... I just don't think we needed to sort of put ourselves in it too much. We just wanted to let the words speak for themselves. I really felt like playing Artemisia in it, in this show. I felt very much like a vessel that would feel her words and say her words. But I never really felt like I was performing as her. I just felt like I was a woman standing on stage, being able to say her story and looking out into an audience and mostly seeing a lot of women but also men and also, you know, just everyone in the audience react to it and feel it and understand it. And that felt a very special thing to be able to do. I can imagine. I'd like to come back to that. But I did want to think a bit more about, um, I was watching the performance again on video and I was interested in how it's theatre. So a lot of the interviews that we do for Stage Left are performance art. And yet what you've just described is not you cathecting with character, Alice. You're not. So it's theatre. It's like, it's lots of text which is really interesting to me in terms of how you theatricalize so much text, like taking a 300-page document and theatricalizing it. But as actors, performers, you're keeping a separation between you and character, would you say, Ellis, that's really important to you? With this one, when we started doing the show, we talked massively about Artemisia in the facts that we knew, because obviously we can't hear how she said it. We don't really know much about her, but what we did know is she was young. She was 17 in the court trial, probably in a room full of men, with a father who had brought the case to the court because she belonged to him and because a piece of his art that she had painted had been stolen. So everything was sort of stacked against her. And we wanted, not wanted, but what we thought was right is that she would be nervous and she would be shy and it would be a really scary experience for her to stand up in the court. And I tried so hard to perform her lines like that and it didn't work, it didn't make sense. She's so bold and forthright and strong and suddenly the character did emerge, but I think through actively trying not to put anything on her. So weirdly, I do feel like I have a sense of what her character is, but it was only discovered in allowing the words to sort of travel through rather than trying to impose, Mm. if that doesn't sound too wanky. You use the word a vessel, so feeling like a vessel yeah. for her. It sounds kind of passive, but actually the, what you've described doesn't sound passive. As in, you read the words and she is really bold. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary what this young woman did in this profoundly male-dominated society. What yeah. she took the risk of doing. I, I don't think... mean it to sound passive. I, I know it does, yeah. and, it, and it feels like a very passive thing. But I've never felt so emotionally connected to a figure from the past or an artist or a character that I played, if that's what it is, a a woman, it feels very dynamic when I'm doing it. And we've had conversations about it because in the show, when when it's true moments happens, I feel very moved on the stage because I feel as if I can see the audience reacting to it. 
and I'm feeling like I'm reacting to it, what happened to her and what's happening now and everything. And it, it feels the most alive and active thing, yeah. which is also an incredible thing to feel like you're a part of on that stage and in a theater. So in that respect, to go back to the idea of post verbatim, it seems like it's classic post in the way that it's not just after like post-colonialism or post-imperialism. We live with the effects of colonialism and imperialism. So it's still engaging with what is truth and how do we like, of course, we want to seek truth. And we also know that it's so difficult and encrusted and all kinds of things. Does that make sense with the kind of thing that you do as a company, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think our approach with this show is really different to what we've done with previous projects. I think with previous projects, it's been about exposing or drawing attention to the artifice of the storytelling or the theatre in order to access something that feels more truthful. And in this, it was somehow about going about it in a lot more of a traditional route. The references for this felt very kind of theatre. Like it was interesting you said that it's really theatre, like it's not performance art or live art or anything like that. People that have seen it have kind of asked if that's been an influence, like if we're Mm. really into performance art or something, which has surprised me because to me it feels really like thespian, like RSC, like (laughs) early modern courtroom drama. Um, But I think there are elements of it that come from different traditions that are more engaging with the live moment and like drawing attention to the performers. Like, I guess in this show, the fact that they are performing a text that we say at the top of the show the trial will now be restaged kind of thing and that there's a moment of repetition to the point of kind of exhaustion I don't know it feels like there's an element of kind of performance or live art that's inspired it even if it is in some ways very traditionally theatrical can you tell me what motivated you to make this show in terms of how the idea came about I read about Gentileschi a few years ago and particularly about the painting Judith Slaying Holofernes, which is the famous one of the the two women beheading a man on the bed. And I read an article that was kind of giving what I now think is kind of a very simplistic view of events, which is this painting, along with many of her others, was a direct response to her rape and it was a form of artistic revenge. But that was kind of what interested me as a dramatic arc. But it felt like a story that was waiting to be told and it found its moment. He said, Artemisia, let's be honest... You have probably given it to so many men, you may as well just give it to Agostino as well. And in very said, John, I don't take well to the words of scoundrels like him. And what did he say to that? Well, he told me that he was joking, so I should calm down. And I've read that you began work on it before the Me Too moments started. It wasn't a direct response to the Me Too movement, if it I understand wasn't correctly. At all. Yeah, we were making... but it seems really resonant to the Me Too movement. It was really, it was really peculiar to do this show in. Edinburgh last year because there were lots of articles written about Me Too theatre shows and it felt really weird to be bracketed under that headline because that was never what we intended the show to be. I mean, you know what it's like with theatre, you start putting the wheels in motion to make a show and then it takes a while for it to take off so we'd already been thinking about it and then all these accounts came to the forefront and we were feeling so angry reading them and that was as we were making it so even though we knew we didn't want it to be a Me Too show because we wanted to just tell this one woman's story, which had been told so terribly and numerous times in other ways, it obviously did have resonance because we were having conversations in pubs about what they were thinking reading those accounts and then we were talking about it in the rehearsal room and we were feeling angry and we were bringing all that anger in. 
So it's weird now because I'm like, we never meant for it to be. And I still don't think it solely is. Mm. But it obviously was made under that that banner and that landscape and in that time. Did you not want it to get taken up in bracketed as a Me Too production or read under a heading as just a Me Too production? What that kind of cultural moment did was allowed the story to be told and to have a platform. But I guess the reason why we were reluctant to maybe brand it under that title was not to want to come across as if we were like capitalising off a cultural moment or for social movement and also not to kind of imply that we were making a really essential contribution to that conversation I mean we were always very clear that we could only ever tell one woman's story it's interesting since then people have said as we've been booking the tour and thinking about the future life of the show things have come back to us of people saying like oh but like will it still be relevant next year well that would be nice if it weren't (laughs) yeah 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 and you know that's exactly how we feel and i and i guess that's why we were reluctant to call it a me too show because that feels like a very specific cultural moment of something that is you know a centuries millennia old story absolutely and lines like it made me think of Bill Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And it isn't just in the last three years, obviously. There's lots of really iconic examples that the production really resonated with for me. Mm-hmm. Senor Tassi, that I have raped her is not true. Nor that I have had relations with her. We talked about so many of them. We did in the talk room. about Clinton, didn't we? Yeah. Take the Clinton, general politicians. I mean, it was weird because we made the show in that Me Too moment. We were talking about Clinton. We were talking about, you know, Weinstein. We were watching interviews, reading accounts, just feeling general rage. Then after Edinburgh, the show went into sleep for a month, and in that time, the Kavanaugh trial happened. And Christine Blasey Ford and and yeah, believe the woman and exactly. All that. And then we had a new actor playing Tassie, and she'd watched the trial, and she came in and said oh, I noticed that he did all these things with his hands and suddenly it became Kavanaugh on the stage. And it was just, it was really weird how a show can actually become potentially more relevant and to be in a court, it was really, it was really And also how that character grew in that second iteration through bringing in a different performer whose reference was then Kavanaugh and kind of Trump and like more, he was more of a grotesque figure whereas in Edinburgh, Sophie's version was more of a kind of like slippery yeah charming like you might even be friends with him and then find out he'd done this terrible thing and be like whoa kind of thing yeah well Sophie's Tussie was I mean people were coming up to Sophie in the bar and saying that they fancied her in the show she's literally playing the most grotesque complex vile man just ever and it made my skin crawl and I felt genuinely very scared on the stage Mm. and then I had that too with Haz but in a completely different way where Haz's Tassie was a brat and so clearly had all the power but wouldn't even try and hide it. Was just so much more... Cocky. Cocky and asserting and would make a joke in the bar really loud and would talk over you and probably had so many more things that they were just getting... Oh, it was just... They are grotesque. And there's something worse about that because it's like you can see how disgusting I'm being but none of you are going to say anything about it which is almost worse than... I'm going to charm you, which is kind of what the first version yeah. of the show is. So just to name these performers, so this is um, Sophie Steer and Harriet Webb. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that really strikes me with you describing the ways that these two performers approach that role is just to show also, you know, what great range of sexual assault <laughs> assholes there could yeah. be you know, yeah, in terms yeah. of behaviour and how people get away with things. 
I mentioned that you adapted a trial which is 300 pages long, which is potentially really untheatrical. And also even a trial which can be literally quite static and very wordy could be really un quite untheatrical. So how did you approach theatricalizing that material? Well, I guess initially there was just an editing process in terms of the writing side. And we approached it in a really conventional way of thinking about dramatic structure. We like plotted it out and then reduced what was a huge amount of text down to a dealable with amount of pages and kind of plotted them on that structure. And also at that point had ideas about how the paintings were gonna appear at different moments in the show. So that was already something you wanted to do. You wanted to show tableaus or reconstructions of her painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was kind of there from the beginning, wasn't it? The text and the images. Yeah. Okay, so you, that's a really strong visual thing as well as the text. I remember studying that classic dramatic structure as quite patriarchal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in terms of rising action, climax and denouement. Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. you think that's about that? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just because in our previous projects, we've got quite cerebral about stuff. And then things have been so ideas led that it's like, where's the theatre? And we would, you know, we'll do an early sharing and it'd be like, what have you done? <laughs> and so I think with this, we were like, we just need to go for it and plot it on an arc that people recognise. And within that, we can do what we want. Yeah, there was another reason we did it as well, which is we did our initial R&D in Italy. And we went to Florence and we went to the Uffizi and we saw the Judith and Holofernes and we had a great time. And... It was Billy and I and also Dorothy, who is the third founder of Breach. And she is a filmmaker and she had just finished an MA in directing fiction. And so she brought a film structure and said, let's think about it in terms of a film structure. And that was actually really helpful as well, mm. that she gave us a lecture on what it was. And then we went through and we did all these exercises. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like it, it has also connected it to the film identity yeah. of the company so that's Dorothy Allen Pickard I mean did you storyboard it we always knew that it was going to be kind of these two modes where there was like a historical and factual thing and then a more of an imaginative space that was about the paintings so the recounting of the text would be interrupted somehow by the the dramatization of the paintings I guess and we didn't find exactly how that was going to work until we had actors in a room I think we also were finding this so exciting that we were doing a very dramatic piece of theatre Compared to the works we've done, the works, the shows we've <laughs> yeah, done Yeah, let's go on works, yeah. Um, that we know those are the bits that we find the most complicated. We, you're using them alongside other things to make it really knotty. But then that can trip you up as well and you don't know how these things work together. And I think we're sick of talking about the strands of the thing that we're making. Yeah, everything we've done before has had like loads of strands that we're weaving together. <laughs> yeah. And then like you finally finish all the strands and put them together and you're like, oh, actually, they're working against each other. What is this ugly friendship bracelet I've made out of these horrible <laughs> yes. strands? Like, one of the strands has to go, whereas this was like, there's going to be one strand, the strand is the story. So what are some of the strategies that you use when you come together in the rehearsal room? Like, And I'm interested here in sort of techniques of making. So how does Breach Theatre make? So it seems like you find some historical thing, generally, that you're interested in. You're thinking about how it's layered in terms of how it's come down to us as an artifact or a story. What do you do when you get into the rehearsal room? I don't know if we have a solid set of techniques, even if they can be read as breach shows. I feel like they've all been made in very different ways and the process has been discovered in the making. But I do think something we just allow ourselves to do as a company is sit and talk about things for a long time, about the things that make us angry within it, the things that excite us. We have to have an idea that makes our guts go. Mm. But then I feel like we 
have conversations about the practical things about staging it as well as indulging ourselves and thinking about the images that stood out to us and we trust them and we kind of run with them a bit yeah but yeah. I mean I guess there's a lot of like long form improvising yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think of things we actually do in the room yeah with this there was a lot of improvising in the very first R&D week on It's True it was either how do we stage this bit of text and turn it into a dramatic courtroom scene or what happens if these two characters who never are in the same room within the transcripts were put together and this was the scenario and then that runs for 10 minutes mm. and we see what comes out. Or there was the, the staging of the paintings which was in a much more kind of heightened sort of storytelling mode. But I think, yeah, in terms of what we actually do in the room, a lot of it is improvisation. Or at least it this. was with this because that's what the cast liked to do. Yeah. I think it's also how the cast works because all our groups have been completely different to each other. And sometimes it hasn't been a very improvisation-heavy group. Mm. Sometimes it has. Sometimes it's been very playful. So playing a lot of games. Sounds like maybe as a company, you're company-led. Partly yeah, depends yeah. on the company. And you've been saying, Billy, that it, this is a different show kind of because it's different material. You had certain things you wanted to hit with this show, mm. it seems to me. Yeah. Like maybe it would be helpful to think about certain examples on how you took decisions on them. So for example, why did you decide to have Artemisia put her hands in gold paint to indicate her being tortured during the trial? I think the idea of the pot of paint as the torture device came quite early. And then there was a lot of conversation about what colour. Um, because red would be quite literal. Gold, for us, was like Baroque. We did this research trip and a lot of the palaces and galleries we were going to, the paintings would have these like horrible, really thick, ornate gold frames that like really distract from what you can actually see in the picture. So there was something about the shock of seeing like a shimmering gold paint representing like the violence that she was experiencing but also the money and the wealth and the bling of that era and the aesthetic i do have to say it probably came also from seeing cock and bull absolutely well it's a beautiful resonant image actually we've got another interview on cock and bulls on on the podcast so you can listen to that if you're interested Mm. but that's such a resonant profound image there with the three performers have gold hands and they also have gold squares around their mouths and they're wearing wearing black suits with white shirts i thought it was a a nice feminist homage because that's a very strong show for me about uh, male privilege and class dominance and things like that and these three women responding to that so I thought it was a beautiful intertext actually yeah we I mean we absolutely love that show and we kind of quote and talk about it a lot and I think we realized as we were going along that a lot of the we were picking up a lot of the theatrical aesthetics but also sort of approaches of that show in terms of three women in suits the gold hands and mouths but also that they're very gestural so they have these repeated hand gestures that they're kind of decontextualize and do to the point of you think kind of what is that that they're quoting and we talked a lot about this like hand gesture thing as also the language of a courtroom mm-hmm. so we did a day of watching real trials at the old bailey but also that it's this kind of like masculine posturing thing which is very much what rosanna cade and those artists were referencing i and think green yeah and laura Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. there's also a real punk aesthetic in the production especially through the music and the lighting and transitions are often, so when the three performers switch roles and move around the stage, the lights go crazy and then there's punk music like The Slits or, or Patti Smith at the end. That's a really big aesthetic to bring in. Why did you want that aesthetic in the show? I think it was about capturing like what Artemisia's spirit was or how we read it. Her boldness know? that you talked about earlier, Alice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and finding what is the equivalent, what is the sound of that anger and that boldness? And also what would undercut or cut through 
the very period world that we've set it in. This was a show that we very much were like, we're never going to break out of this period setting. And so something for us, I think, had to cut through that. And so it was about, yeah, like interrupting and slashing away that ornate language. And this was your first opportunity, if I understand correctly, to work with a set designer, Luke W. Robson. Yeah. Um, what, was, what difference did that make and how was Luke involved in the process? Quite involved. I mean, I found it a really valuable sort of relationship as it went on. Mm-hmm. We sort of, yeah, built this idea together of the courtroom that's also an artist studio and all the pieces of the artist studio doubling as courtroom furniture. It was something that we've been quite resistant to. I think when we first started making work, there's that question, which is, is the work really stripped back and minimal and self-referential because of financial restraints or is it an aesthetic choice? And I think the answer is it begins as one and becomes the other. <laughs> yeah. And then I think years down the line, where we are now, a few years down the line, there's another question, which is, is the work really stripped back and minimal and self-referential as an artistic choice or because you are scared of theatricality and I think we felt like it was a moment to like step into that and see what that was yeah. and you know still we got reviews that were like the austere stripped back set and we were like <laughs> that's so much that's remote. yeah I couldn't believe it so Alice how did it feel to you to perform in that different set so different to everything else we've done so I'm just thinking about the fact that people say it's austere and it doesn't feel like that to me I always feel like I'm on a big plush stage <laughs> From a West End musical. It's interesting because I'm just thinking about um, the difference between a strip backstage and then a stage that has all kinds of stuff in it. And I thought of the word support, like literally, you know, you've got all this apparatus around you that helps set the scene and compared to a strip back thing where you have to like generate everything, <laughs> the set is helping generate. Yeah. But I also think, yeah, it's a set that reads as a set rather than say a table with scripts and chairs kind of thing. So even if it is like stripped back, I think it's the fact that it's pretending to be something. It's strange thinking about how many of the transcripts we left untouched. It's probably the most verbatim thing we've ever done and it's on this big fake set. I hadn't really thought about how (laughs) we've actually gone the other way from being like, this is a table and these are my words, but I'm lying to you throughout. And now it's actually the other way around. But does it does it feel like a sellout, Billy? You said it, you know, we no, sold it doesn't. Out. I think no. it's a bit like the thing about the dramatic structure where it's like if you find something that people understand, you can then like fuck with Exploit it. Exploit it. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is our show that has like the widest appeal, is the most accessible, is the most recognizably what it is. But I think, you know, you can totally use that as a vehicle to say things and also do things that people aren't used to seeing. I'd like to talk about two more examples that have to do with sexuality and nakedness and nudeness. So you've decided to be partly nude in the production, Alice. You perform partly naked, maybe it's a better word, a couple of times. And there's also scenes where performers, particularly the scenes where there's testimony, which is apparently about what Artemisia's sexuality and how rampantly sexually active she is. And while these clearly unbelievable testimonies are happening, two other performers are miming having sex, but not in contact and with all their clothes on. So there's, I think, really interesting and textured decisions that you take about when to be clothed and when not to be clothed, how you perform naked, like how you kind of inhabit that, Ellis, because you inhabit it with real confidence. And and then also those decisions about how to perform sex in a show mm. that is partly about, partly about sex. How did you take those kinds of decisions? So we had a conversation a long time ago before the show had been cast about... Artemisia or whoever played Artemisia the role of dressing and undressing because 
you know, her, her account talks about being undressed. You see in these paintings the undressing and redressing and clothes falling off shoulders. So we kind of knew that that would be something that we wanted to think about with whoever played Artemisia. And then it became me. I, I'd never done that on a stage before and I didn't know how I was going to react to it. And we kept trying to practice it and every rehearsal room we had was essentially a greenhouse where there were just glass windows everywhere and I'd be like, okay, now I'm taking my bra off and a lorry would pull in. <laughs> and I'd just freeze and slowly put my jumper back on. So I didn't actually get to do it until the first ever time we performed really? in front of an audience. Wow. Yeah. And Billy took me to one side and said, you don't have to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll just see. And I actually felt like it made so much sense. I didn't feel nervous the act of being, of Susanna undressing, because it's Susanna who undresses in the retelling of the Susanna and the Elder story. So that's the painting where Susanna's bathing and these two older men come and spy on her. Yeah, and she does it because she wants to bathe and she wants to be naked because she's going to have a bath. And then Artemisia having, having to say her account and choosing to redress herself. So she's pulling it on and she isn't nervous or hiding herself because she's exhausted and she just wants to get through the transcript and she wants to say it all and then the second half when I take my clothes off they are physically taken and that's before the torture and that feels like a real stripping manipulation and then I get to redress as the maid and then I get to really fuck with that painting so that's nice then that, you get to be involved in taking yeah. a follow for his head. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is great. Yeah. But I think it's weird thinking about the nudity in this. I never think I'm just Artemisia in both those things. I don't know. I think that fluidity of who you are and actually it's always just going to be a woman. It always feels considered to me and it never felt like something that I felt unsafe or weird doing in the show. I think that's a great word considered when I say confident, you know, that you perform it with confidence. It always looks like this is a very clear decision mm. that the character or the performer is going to take the costume off now. There have been weird reactions to people who see the show. Not many, but I did have a guy come up to me at New Diorama and say, I think he had to use the phrase, what's it like getting your tits out for an audience every night? You look like you love it. And I just thought, you have. did you watch the show? But I don't feel like that when I'm doing it. I don't even think about the people that are looking at me. And actually, it's quite nice that in it, I get to refer to the male gaze and I get to look at the audience as I say it. And it's also been a weird thing because there have been people that have written things on Twitter about my body, which has made me realise people are looking at my body in that moment in a way that I'm not even thinking of it. And how did you take the decision about how to stage those sex scenes where the, where the performers <laughs> well, We saw this show called Cock and Bull. Okay. <laughs> no, that, that was one of those things where in retrospect we were like, we definitely got it from that. But it was about um, taking that male dominance and like really just making it grotesque and disgusting. And the fact that everyone has this sort of mask in the courtroom and then just like removing it and going all out. It was partly about like having fun with sex and the idea that we talked a lot about how sex works in a show that's also about rape. You know, we knew we never wanted to restage anything about the rape. It took us ages to decide if we were even going to have that imagined scene between Tassie and Artemisia. And then we decided it was really important to have it. I said that I felt sick and I thought that maybe I had a fever. And he said, Artemisia, I'm more of a fever than you do. And then one time when I was stood in front of the door that led to my bedroom. He pushed me inside and he locked it. 
inside the bedroom, uh, he threw me onto the edge of the bed. He was pushing me with a hand on my breast, and he brought a knee up between my thighs to prevent me from closing them. The care that Artemisia tells that story and the honesty and the generosity she gives to that courtroom versus the many, many lies that people tell so flippantly, I think we really wanted to expose that view of sex and what they were thinking the sex was as they were describing it like, oh, he always fucks her in her house and oh, she always comes and grabs men off the street and it's it's so flippant and it's so, I don't know, just verbally pornographic. It doesn't have any sort of like grounding. It's just... So you want to show the kind of comicness of it and and sordidness, I feel. I think so because I don't think we wanted to laugh at it on the stage because it's real and it feels real when you're on the other side of that. And, you know, that whole moment to us in the Kavanaugh case and the Me Too thing was kind of like what was happening in all the forums where people were talking about whether people were true or not. And, I mean, you saw all those when actresses spoke out and people would be like, yeah, but with her ex-husband, she did this, this, Mm. this. And actually, I think it was also about just really finding a way for us to laugh at the ridiculousness of that situation whilst also acknowledging that it still happens and it's fucking horrific and people can just lie and it bears weight yeah i'd like to come back now to that bit of the show that you've talked about quite a bit where you repeat alice you repeat it's true it is true it is true and you say so this is in the context of the character her truth being disbelieved and her version of the story because it's against it's not the same as what tassie says and then she's submitted to some ancient lie detector test of the gold paint which is a form of torture and your character then Artemisia really said it it is true many times and you say it many times apparently to every single person in the auditorium it is true 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 it is true, 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 it is true. I will say this forever. This is a really profound moment. My experience as an audience member as well, where I felt connection with you and I did feel it is so important that I believe you and that we hear the importance of being believed. Uh, Yeah, I think so too. I think in that moment, for me, it's the exhaustion and the facade breaks and she's been left on stage by herself, which is obviously a decision we take. And actually, I don't know if it's me or if it's her, but I feel genuinely very sad in that moment. And it's because I can see the faces on the audience. And I think people in the audience are happy to be seen in that moment. I think it just is this breaking down and it feels so important and special. Yeah, and it, I was going to ask you a question really about the trauma of, of the show and the trauma of the story and, re, you know, the classic, like, what does it mean to retell that trauma every night? But then also to, to perform as though you're inside of it. And as you said, it resonates with your own experience in terms of the kind of sexually abusive things that can happen in a range of ways. How does it feel overall? Like, how do you cope? Or is that a moment that kind of re-energizes you? So I think we didn't want the audience to leave the theatre feeling unsafe, especially when the Me Too movement was occurring and all those accounts were everywhere and there were things being written about 
how it felt to be a victim of sexual abuse and to not be able to look anywhere and not see it. So we knew we didn't want to create something that made the audience feel like that. And I think that also meant that we created something that was quite caring for us. I quite rarely left the theatre feeling deflated. I felt very energised and active. And I don't think that's because of the It's True moment. I think it's actually coming out of that into the Judith and then the song. Oh, sorry. The restaging of the Judith from the painting. She comes and she redresses Artemisia and hugs her and then they sing Patti Smith. They I sing think... Gloria by Patti Smith. Yeah. yeah. That action moved the, the sadness in my body into rage and it's always easier to leave a theatre and face the rest of the day angry than, I think, deflated and sad. So I do go through that. Mm. But then I look at the other girls that I'm on stage with and feel very cared for. And I think we all pick ourselves up in that end bit. Yeah, so but, was that deliberate in terms of the structure that you described? Did you think we want to have this angry but also really exuberant ending, which is what it that. is? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, first of all, that's her life. I mean, the show focuses on something that happened to her when she was very young and she then went on to have great success and was a master of the Italian Baroque art. And we didn't want to do that to most of the audience and I wouldn't want to do that to myself. I think we, we were thought that as well about the actual rape account. Yeah. You know, we rehearsed it a lot in terms of what would it feel to say that account, but we didn't want to over-dramatise it because we weren't interested in the spectacle of the suffering woman sharing her trauma with a room full of people. We were interested in what comes next, I guess. And so I think with that and the It's True stuff, it might feel like an emotional moment and that's, as you said an important time of sharing with the audience but it's not about look how low she is at this point or like look how traumatized she is no it's strong it's really i think that it's true moment it's not i feel sad when i'm doing it but i don't feel like she's down and out like she does it she gets through it she gets through everyone Mm. it's a strong moment i think it's also really important that we see sadness and strength sitting together and something emerging and growing out of it Because also I think that's what happens when women share a space together and talk about these experiences. My thanks to Billy Barrett and Ella Stevens. It's True, It's True, It's True is at the Underbellies Bristol Square venue in Edinburgh from the 16th to the 26th of August 2019 and then it tours the UK check out Breach Theatre's website for tour details. If you like this episode, please rate, review and share it. And join me in the next show where I'll be talking about taking live art into stand-up comedy with Krishna Istha. <laughs> <laughs>